0: I want to encourage you today to be open to whatever it is that the Holy Spirit of God is going to say to you. And although we're here as a group and we very much want to experience God together, our desire is that every one of us as individuals would encounter God each week through our worship. And on the screen that you saw before I stepped to the platform were just a very brief summary of some of the main ideas in the study that we're doing. On uh, learning, knowing, doing the will of God, and the seven realities that underline that. This morning's message is entitled Four Marks of an Encounter with God. Four marks of an encounter with God. On the screen, you'll see a diagram that captures those seven realities. When you and I encounter God, everything changes nothing is the same. The way we look at life, the way we make decisions, the way we look at other people, everything changes when you and I encounter God. Why is that? Well, as you look at this diagram, it helps us understand what happens to you and me, the process that God takes us through when we experience Him and i'm not going to go through each of those seven points this morning but i just wanted you to see the diagram and as you move through that diagram you see it at the very beginning god's work and we're going to study that next week Uh, the week after that we're going to look at the second point and then the third point now on sunday nights you have the opportunity to take each of these and go deeper and so we've been encouraging you for several weeks to participate in the sunday night discussions that mike ship is going to lead us through on sunday evenings There's a book that goes with that if you want to get it. You don't have to have it, but it'll it'll help you go deeper in this area of knowing and doing God's will and in that way experiencing God. Now, you see that big arrow that moves from the left side of the screen to the right. You know, ideally, you and I would go from number one to number seven all the time. We wouldn't need two, three, four, five, and six. We wouldn't need all that stuff we would recognize what God is doing, we would say yes to whatever he asks us to do, and we would begin to experience God all the time. Now, that's the ideal. That's the way it ought always to be, but you and I both know there's so much that we haven't learned yet. There's so many things about God that I still have to learn. There are things that I have made up my mind about that may not be true, and God has to change my mind. And this is often, this is the glance at the process that God takes us through. This morning, I want us to look at what happens on the other side of that big arrow. In other words, when you and I encounter God, and we begin to experience God on a regular basis, what is that like? What is happening when you and I encounter God? And so we're looking at four marks of an encounter with God. God And it affects us as individuals this way. And when God encounters us as a church, we see the whole church affected in the very same way. Before I begin, would you pray with me? Our Father, we are grateful to you for gathering us together for your purposes this morning. And Father, we praise your name for being a God who acts in our world. You are not, like some people teach, a distant, faraway God who is not interested in us and who doesn't care what we're doing as long as we act right. Father, reveal to us so much more about who you are, not only this morning, but in the coming weeks. And as we get to see you as you are, as we begin to understand who you are and who we are in relationship to you, Father, our heart cry is that you would turn our hearts to you. That we would fall in love with you all over again. For some of us, for maybe for the very first time. That we would discover that you have set before us not just a better way of life, but the only way to live. May that be our discovery. May that be our journey together as a church. And for the individual person who's here today who may not know Jesus, I pray today, Lord, you would reveal yourself to that dear one. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I am encountering God in my life or in my church when? I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 10. In just a few moments, we'll be reading there. And this is an experience from the life of Peter. And it's going to help us understand what it looks like when a person encounters God on a regular basis. What what is happening? What can we expect to take place? If I go through these eight weeks, if I study it, if I apply it to my life, and God speaks to me and leads me through this, what is life going to be like? Where is he taking me? Where is he taking our church? I'm encountering God in my life or in my church when, number one, God is initiating what I am doing. God is initiating what I am doing. Frankly, it's taken me most of my life to understand this truth. When I was growing up and a high school student and then later in college, uh, before I became a Christian, I had the mindset of a planner, an organizer, an engineer who, who determines how to get things done. And I even had an attitude about it don't tell me it can't be done there's always a way for it to get done and uh and i would try to engineer a solution to whatever problem that i experienced I had a lot of confidence way too much confidence and then when i became a christian that didn't go away right away that's why i said it's taken most of my life to learn this and i began to think of how to make things happen for god how to do things for god how to if that's what god wants to do Uh, How can I I make this occur? If he wants to win the world for Christ, if he wants to reach a town for Christ, how can I make that happen? The truth is that God doesn't need me to help him. And he doesn't need you to help him. The truth is he doesn't need me to tell him what to do. He already knows what he's going to do. Because God has a plan to redeem the world, to set it free, to rescue it, from its brokenness. Now, you don't have to look very far to see the brokenness of our world. We live in a nation that's deeply divided, where people are hateful to one another. People can't even talk to one another, can't discuss things with one another. There's no civility, no grace, no kindness, and it's happening on a, on a very large scale. We live in a broken world. God has a plan to rescue that world. God has a plan to redeem that world. And it's not in the White House. It's right here. And God has this plan, and uh, it's been in the heart of God before you were born, before the world was made, before creation happened. In fact, this plan was in the heart of God before there was even time. God's plan has been in his heart from eternity from the very beginning. And that means that when God's getting ready to do something, he invites us to be a part of his plan. He's not making it up on the spot. He's not trying to figure out what we're going to do tomorrow. He already knows what he's going to do. He already has the plan. And so he's not making it up. That also means that God is always making the first move. He's initiating. He's He's the one that that knows what he wants to accomplish, and so those wheels are already turning. His plan is already in motion and has been in motion since before the world was made. When someone, if you're a Christian today, when someone came to you and shared with you how to know Christ, how to be saved, that was not an accident. God had arranged for that conversation to take place. Paul said in Galatians 1.15, He said, my whole life, my mission, my purpose, the the calling that I have, all of that was arranged for me when I was still in my mother's womb. He says that in Galatians 1.15, that from the womb, God called me, already had a plan. All the significant things that I would do, the places where I would go, those significant moments in my life, God already had that in mind. So God always makes the first move. And so you and I, when we think about doing the will of God, we need to focus or frame our minds around this truth that God has already has a plan, and he is inviting me to join him in his plan. Now, a great example of that that we're going to read this morning is about Peter. Peter in Acts chapter 10. Peter was one of the apostles. He followed Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. When uh, Jesus gave the Great Commission, Peter heard it. When Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit fell and, uh, on his people. And 3,000 people were saved in one day. It was Peter that preached that sermon. And so when we come to Acts chapter 10, however, we discover that Peter, like us, can be serving God, doing the will of God as far as he understands it. But God may have to do something to help move him all the way in to what he has in mind. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was not Jewish. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day. Now, they calculated time from sunrise. And so you think about... This ninth hour of the day, and you're thinking about three in the afternoon. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. When he observed him, he was afraid, and that's an understatement. He was terrorized and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon Simon whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So God's at work. He's already made the first move. The wheels are already turning. He has a plan for Cornelius, and that involves Peter. Now, Peter's been serving God. Uh, Peter preached the gospel in Samaria. Lots of people came to know Christ. It was like a great crusade, and that was a stretch for someone like Peter because he was fully Jewish. The people in Samaria were partly Jewish, and they were not ethnically the same as the people in Jerusalem, and they believed things a little differently, but he went preach preached the gospel to them. And God had used Peter in so many ways. He even had been used to raise a woman from the dead. So this is not a man who's living outside of his understanding of God's will, but he's still missing something. God still has a major work For Peter to do, and he still does not understand it. It's not even on his radar screen, and it involves Gentiles, non-Jewish people. So how is God going to move Peter from where he is, thinking he's he's doing the will of God? He is. He's serving the Lord, preaching the gospel. He's active in his church. He's doing all the things that you would expect a good guy to do. How is God going to move a good guy to, to being in the very middle of his will? Several years before this, in fact, scholars aren't sure exactly, probably eight to ten years before this, um, Jesus died on the cross, was raised, and went up into heaven. Jesus gave the great commission. He said, make disciples of all the nations. In uh, Acts 1-8, just before he left, he said that you're going to be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to be my witnesses. And, and when you are my witness, I'm going to scatter you around, and you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, then Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit came, and if you'll remember that they began to speak in tongues, not unknown tongues, but in the languages of all the different people who had gathered there in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And so every, every kind of language was being spoken on the day the Holy Spirit came. I'm telling you, that's a big clue. If God says make disciples of all the nations, if God is saying, I'm going to spread you out to the uttermost parts of the earth, if everybody's speaking different languages, that's a big clue. But eight to ten years later, they still were not reaching Gentiles. They still had not spread out to reach them. And so God is, is at work to do something in Peter's life and he chose Peter to do it disciples are not having a sense of urgency about reaching their world outside their Jewish circle so a few miles away Cornelius was seeking God and he didn't know how to be saved and God sends an angel to him you know what really strikes me about this is the angel could have told him the gospel but the angel didn't did he He said, I want you to go get Peter. And you see, that's the way God always works. He he could have just shared the gospel through angels all over the planet if that's what he wanted to do. But he doesn't want to do it that way. God wants to tell the whole world the gospel through his people, through you and me. And and he's getting ready to prepare Peter for that. So this is a setup, y'all. If you haven't figured that out, God has set Peter up. It's a big setup. So the truth is, God also has things for you to do that you may not be fully aware of. God has plans for you that you may not have fully comprehended. In fact, I guarantee you, you have not fully comprehended God's plan for your life. There are things he wants to do in you. There's things he wants to do through you. And it's not even on your radar screen, you and me, just like Peter. We need God to take us through these processes that we're gonna be studying in the next few weeks. Let me share a verse with you, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. This is one of the verses I learned early on as a new Christian, I learned verse eight, I learned verse nine, verse 10, those really remarkable. Here's what it says, Ephesians two ten. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now the first thing that strikes me about that is that you and I were made to do the works of God. He says you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. When he saved you, he had things for you to do. He still does. And, um, And so we were made for that purpose. I'll tell you something else that strikes me is that these works that he has for you and I to do have been planned before we do them. It says, which God prepared beforehand. That means every decision, every action that I could possibly make or be a part of that is going to have an eternal impact, God has already those things in his mind. He already, in eternity past, has this on his heart before you were born. So that says to me, if God is not in it, If God is not initiating it, if God is not out front leading and I'm following, it will not have an eternal impact and will soon be forgotten. I believe this, that right now there are people in Wynn, Arkansas, people in Cross County, Arkansas, just like Cornelius. Right now, as you and I sit here this morning, there are people just like Cornelius. They're seeking God They have questions about God, and God is preparing us, some of us specifically, to go and talk to those Corneliuses. And you say, well, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, Jesus was the one that said that the fields were white for harvest. He didn't say pray for the harvest. He said the harvest is there. He said pray for the laborers to go out into that harvest. Do you believe there's a harvest in Wynn, Arkansas? Do you believe there's a harvest in Cross County? Then you agree with Jesus. And, um, and so he makes the first move. God is opening doors for you and me to go to them. But how's he going to do this? How's he going to open these doors? What we see next is what he has to do to get Peter involved in his mission, the mission of God. What does he have to do? Well, here's the second mark of an encounter with God. Number two, God is interrupting me or my church to involve us in his mission. God is interrupting me or my church to involve us in his mission. Look at verse 9, Acts 10, verse 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. When was that? That'd be around noon, and that'd be about lunchtime. In fact, it says, then he became very hungry. It's about lunchtime, and wanted to eat, but while they made ready... He fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. Lord. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, God was already at work. I mean, Cornelius has already had this encounter with an angel. These men are already on the way. And... Um, and Peter is going to be the guy that is going to be the answer to Cornelius' prayers. God wants to move Peter into the work that he's already doing. But Peter has blinders on. He does not yet care about the thing that God cares about. You see, we're always growing. We want to be conformed because this is God's mission, to conform us into the likeness of Jesus. There's one thing that makes Jesus stand out from every other human being is that he always cared about what the Father cared about. And so Peter's not there yet. And there's so much that we don't know. There's so much I don't know. There's so many things that God is still teaching each of us. And so we ought not feel bad about this. In fact, we ought to thank God that he doesn't leave us where we are, and that he's going to move us along. So remember, he's serving the Lord. He's a recognized and respected leader in the church. He's not a rascal. He's not a problem. He's not a troublemaker. He's not running from God. He's not in rebellion. And so he's doing everything he thinks he ought to be doing. He thinks he's doing everything that God wants him to do. And so when God, whatever he's going to do, when God gets Peter's attention and moves him out of what he's doing to something else, listen, that is going to feel like a really big interruption. Have you ever felt interrupted by God? Have you ever felt like, God, where did that come from? I wasn't expecting that. What are you doing? What is that about? When God speaks to you and me, He moves us where He wants us. And the more entrenched that I am in what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and and all that I believe, the more entrenched I am, the more of a disruption it's going to feel like when God speaks and says, Don, i got something else for you to do. So God gets Peter's attention through this encounter. And for Peter... He's a godly man, he has the Holy Spirit, and uh, he responds really, really well. i got to be honest with you, I don't always respond that well. In fact, one of the things we're going to study in the next few weeks is that when God makes his will plain to you and me, when he reveals this thing, it creates in us sometimes what's called a crisis of belief. I know in this moment that this is what God wants, and, and do I believe God enough, do I trust God enough? to do this thing. And it's a crisis. Am I going to step up or am I going to step back? Am I going to do the thing God's calling me to do? Or am I going to say, no, God, not this time. I would rather do something else. And you and I have studied, we have seen examples in scripture of this. We have seen an entire nation of people wander 40 years in the wilderness because they step back. They said, God, we don't want to go in the promised land. It's too, too scary. I don't want to go there. And this happens to nations, it happens to individuals, it happens to churches. Do I understand that this is going to create a disruption in my heart? And it's going to create what we're going to call crisis of belief. And I'm going to have to make a decision. And it's a serious decision. It's a major decision when it comes. And so God gets Peter's attention, and he's teaching Peter, frankly, that he cares for all people, not just Jewish people. That God cares for all people, not just church people. He cares for everyone in Wynn, Arkansas, not just a few people in Wynn, Arkansas. And so he's, he's getting that message across. There's a third mark of an encounter with God. Number three. When we encounter God, we discover that God is instructing me as I join him in his mission. God is instructing me as I join him in his mission. Look at verse 17. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, and go down with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. One of the things we're going to learn is that God speaks in different ways. God spoke in at least three ways here to Peter. Peter's praying, isn't he? He's praying. God speaks through prayer. But that's not all. God spoke directly to Peter. He spoke as the living word. The Bible wasn't in place yet. The New Testament wasn't in place yet. But he spoke to him through a living word. And then he spoke through circumstances. These guys show up at the gate. And so God is speaking very clearly to Peter. And Peter's head is spinning. It says he's wondering what all this means. All his traditional understanding of how to be right with God, how to live with non-Jewish people, which meant you don't socialize with them, you don't eat with them, all of his traditional understanding, rooted in the Old Testament as it was, was being turned upside down. It was all being washed away. And God was showing him something that he wasn't understanding yet. Don't be surprised if God leads you to take a step and you don't understand it all yet. There are many, many times where God leads you to do something and you will not fully understand all the details. You won't have the whole plan in front of you. Peter's being told to take a step, and he takes it, but he doesn't know why he's doing it. But to Peter's credit, he takes the step. He goes with these people. He preaches the gospel to Cornelius. And and God begins to teach him as he goes, not while he's standing still in Joppa. It's as he goes that God begins to teach him and fill in the questions and the blanks that he has in his mind. Look at verse 28. Then he said to them, when he got to Cornelius, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? You see, he doesn't know everything. He got a piece of it. He believed it was God. He did what God was leading him to do. But when he gets there, he still doesn't know what he's supposed to do there. He still doesn't know what the next step is. Why did you send for me? Why am I here? And sometimes you'll take that step, and that may be your experience at all, also. So God wants Peter to share the gospel with a Gentile. Now it's clear. Now it's clear, and he preaches the gospel to him. Peter did not know what God wanted him to do when he got there, but he followed him anyway. Now, you may have sensed God speaking to you this morning, last week, last year, or at some other point in your life, and and you know the step God is directing you to take. You know he's leading you to take a particular step. What do you do? Do you wait until you have all the steps in view? We're going to talk about this next week. Do you wait until you have all the steps in view? Do you wait for more direction, more guidance, or do you take the step? And what we see in Peter's life is that if I take the step that God has given to me, he reveals the next step. And I take that step, and then he reveals the next step. He doesn't give us a map. He gives us direction, step by step by step. If you have a flashlight and you turn it on in the dark, it will light up everything in front of you, but not all the way out in front of you. It'll line up maybe 50 feet or 50 yards, depending on what kind of flashlight you've got. And the only way to see more of what's ahead is to step towards the light. And as you step towards the light, you begin to see more. Take another step, you see more. And God's will functions in the very same way. Each step gives you more visibility and understanding of what lies ahead. This is certainly what he did with Peter. And this is how he will work with you and with me. Well, the fourth mark of an encounter with God is this. God is intervening to show his power. God is intervening to show his power. Look what happened in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, the other Jews who believed, were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Surprise! And thank God! that this happened in Acts 10, or none of us would be sitting here unless you were Jewish. Peter may not have been very happy with the preaching of the Gentiles. I don't know. He seemed to be very submissive to what God wanted, but he might not have been very happy with it. But God was thrilled. He didn't even wait for Peter to finish the sermon. The Holy Spirit fell. Boom! And all those other Jewish guys that had come with Peter, half dozen of them, they were in shock. This is like Pentecost, only for non-Jewish people. We didn't know God could work that way. We didn't know God wanted to do something like that. It can be a disruption, but it's worth it, y'all. When God manifests His power among us, when God shows us that He is real, We wait on him, we take the step, we wait on him, we take the step, we wait on him and take the step. But there will be a moment that comes when God will show up and we will see God at work and we will experience him and we will give him the glory for it. So wait on him, do what he says. Then that moment will come. We experience God as we learn to follow and we obey God in daily life. We experience him. Now, as we wind this down, did you notice what Peter said? There was something striking here. Did you notice what Peter said in verses 13 and 14? Look at what he says. You may have to look at your Bible. And a voice came to him. This is in the midst of this trance. A voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. Lord. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Not so, Lord. Why did he say that? Not so, Lord. This is not the way I do things. This is not my plan. This is not my approach to serving God, Lord. All of us like Peter in that moment, carry a set of preconceived plans, answers. We have problems, and we say, well, if I were you in that problem, this is what I would do. I mean, we already have a set of plans in our mind. What you and I have to learn to do as we follow the Lord is take our plans and set them aside. Remember, God has the plan. He has the plan, and I want to be a part of his plan, don't you? Mike, would you, uh, or somebody, would you help me bring this table up on the platform? Um, I want us to uh, see how God works through his plan in our life. And I hope this works, or this visual will bomb big time. So, y'all pray that it works. And... um, you know, Claire is our pianist. Go ahead and sit right there in the middle, guys. Thank you so much. Claire is our pianist, and uh, she doesn't know that I'm going to do this, but Claire, would you come up here and join me <laughs> in the front? I like Claire a lot. She plays hard in every sense of the word. You know, she just plays hard. And um, And Claire, I've got a little project here for you and me. Okay? All right. What I have here is a, is a block, a block with a big old spike in it. Okay, you want to verify that? Yeah. You want to touch it? That sucker's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, all right, it's a big old spike, it's in the, in the wood, it's got a flat top. What I want you to do is develop a plan, okay? I want you to develop a plan to balance as many of those as you can on the head of that nail without touching the wood, touching the table. I mean, that's, you know, just balance only on the head of the nail. This is not a trick. You don't do it like this. That won't work either. But just on the head of the nail, come up with a plan how to balance as many of those as you can on there. And I'm going to give you 30 seconds to do it. Okay, 30 seconds to do it. Okay, have you worked out a plan? You got a plan? Okay, let's put a timer up on the screen. Are we ready? All right. Hey, back it up. Back it up. Are you ready, Claire? Okay, let's start over. 30 seconds. There we go. Go! Go! She got one up there, and that was your best plan? That was mine. Okay. That was your best plan. Okay. All right, here we go. Well, Claire, what if I told you I could do all of these in 30 seconds? Balance all of these on the head of that nail. Would you like to see that? Let me get my breath. It's kind of this is the part where I'm really nervous. Okay? All right, go ahead and start the timer. (laughs) Thank you, Claire. You're welcome. Appreciate it. God's plan is so much better than our plan because He knows stuff that we don't know. I I saw that somewhere. (laughs) I didn't think of that. Your pastor's not that smart. I trust, believe me, most of you know that already. But, But God already knows everything that you're going to encounter, everything that's happening in your life, everything that you're going to experience when you take a step as he leads you to take that step if we if we try to apply our plan to it we get discouraged really fast our plan is a bunch of steps God's plan usually says take this step and then this step and then this step but not all at once and you and I get discouraged because I look at it much the way Claire probably looked at it I look at it and say there is no way that I'm going to balance more than one on top of that nail. But God has a way. And if you and I would trust that God's plan formed in eternity, formed in his heart, much grander, much greater, much more powerful, much more of a lasting impact than anything I can come up with, listen, I'm ready to throw my plans under the bus, aren't you? It's worth it. It's better. Here's the bottom line for this morning, the bottom line. Am I ready to release my plans in order to experience Him? Am I ready to release my plans in order to experience Him? Next week, we're going to look at the life of Abraham. When God called Abraham, God specifically told Abraham, I want you to leave your country, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your father's house, all your relatives. When God called the disciples, he said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And in every case, they had to, to let go of something. And they couldn't stay where they were if they were going to follow the Father and be obedient to him. This morning, he offers to us an entirely different approach to life that is really life. I was reading in Deuteronomy 30 this morning, and uh, you can go back and read it on your own sometime, but he sets before the people of God. He sets before them. He says, I set before you life and death. He says, choose life. There's no middle ground. It's not that God has a better idea. It's the only idea. It's the only way to life. That's not that there's there's gradations. Some some ideas are better than others, and God says, oh, that was good, Don. No, that's not the way it works. He has a plan, and it's going to revolutionize my life, but it is life. It is life, and not all the other things. I could spend my whole life, my physical life, spend my whole life doing what I think is best and following my plans, And, and five minutes after I'm dead, nobody would give a rip. But if I follow his plan, he says that if, if you follow me, Jesus said, if you abide in me, he said, you are my friends. He said, your work, this fruit, it's gonna, you're going to bear fruit, and this fruit is going to remain. It's going to last. It's going to be eternal. I can do things with your life that you never even imagined. And Some of us this morning, maybe for the very first time, you're realizing that Jesus lives. And you think, I am so messed up. I've made so many wrong decisions. I have blown it. I have, I have sinned. I have hurt so many people. I've hurt myself. And I have completely rebelled against God. He's not interested in me. You couldn't be more wrong. The Father died on the, sent Jesus to die on the cross to carry away everything in your life that was offensive to the Father. Everything. Everything. When you trust Jesus, there's nothing left in your life that's offensive to God. And he also sent Jesus that when he was raised from the dead, his Holy Spirit could be poured out, sent to live inside his people. And when you trust Jesus, that Holy Spirit, he comes to live inside you. And so he doesn't say just go go do your best, make up a plan, try to win the world for God, that kind of stuff. He doesn't say that. He says, look, I'm putting my spirit inside you. Walk in my spirit. Abide in me. Live with me. Walk with me be with me. And that new life that you desperately want, that way of living that really is life, is yours in Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to have a response time in just a moment. And if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, surrender to Him, said, Father, carry away my sins. Father, change my life. If you've never done that, I invite you today, whether you're in the balcony or downstairs, to come. There'll be pastors down front. Uh, We've got godly women scattered in the congregation the choir that would be glad to pray with you. If you're a woman and you want to speak to another woman, we'll, we'll make it happen. But this is a time to respond. How's the Lord leading you? Is it to trust Jesus? That's the very beginning of your experience with God, is to put your trust in Him. And then, brother, sister... In Christ you know him and maybe like Peter you and I we are caught up in what we think God wants us to be and do and we're not bad people and we try to do the right things and say the right things but I know there's more and as we start today and as we go through these eight weeks you're beginning to realize hey there is more and God wants to use you in eternal ways ways that will change your life and others For all eternity. You want to be a part of that? I invite you this morning to choose life. To choose life. To choose life.